0: Well, good morning. Well, today we're wrapping up a series where we've been talking about some timeless truths of the Christian faith. And one thing we've really tried to stress is a big idea throughout all the weeks of this series, and if you've missed any, each one stands alone, but if you've missed any, you should go on our app or on our website and watch or listen to the beliefs that we've talked about that Christians have believed For thousands of years, what you believe is important. Because what I believe determines who I become. And that's why we've been talking about some of these pillars of the Christian faith. So you can determine what you believe because that will lead to who you become. Last week, we talked about the last day, the very last day of the world and when that's gonna be. And we talked about how we really don't know when that's gonna be, and we really don't know how that's all gonna play out, but what we do know is that Jesus wins in the end, and so we'll just get with Jesus, and however he chooses to wind it down, we're good with that. So that's our belief about the end of time. Jesus wins, and those with him win, so just get with him, and however he chooses to let it all play out, you're on the winning team. So today's even more encouraging. Today's about your last day. Your last day. So we're talking about eternity. We're talking about the life that's after this one. Because here's the reality. This life is not the only life. So I need to think about what comes next. This life is not the only life. So I need to think about what comes next. That gets easier as you get older. It's difficult for really young people, to, you teenagers, it's probably hard for you to think about, what do you mean, eternity, heaven, end of life? I got a long time to think about that, and you probably do, but you still need to think about what comes next, because it affects how you live today. When our girls were really small, our dog died, Well, she had to be put down. And at the vet, they gave me this book, and the book was called Dog Heaven. And it was a description of what our dog was experiencing after she died. And they had some questions, and we talked about it, and whether or not you believe dogs go to heaven or are in heaven or not, uh, that's that's up to you to decide. But we all have questions sooner or or later about heaven, about what comes next, about what happens after this life. This is important because however long you're alive, you're gonna be dead longer, (laughs) right? So why not think about the longest part of your existence, which is going to be after your existence here on earth? You're gonna be dead a lot longer than you're alive, so why not think about and prepare for what comes next? So of course we have questions about it, questions about heaven, like where is it? Is it real? Who gets to go there? And what's the criteria for those that are let into heaven? Some people might believe, well, everybody gets to go. But what about the other place? What about hell? See, I would rather just talk all about heaven and not even mention the other place. But is that real? Is hell real? Who goes there? Does it exist? Does it exist? Because hell is a really misunderstood and miscommunicated topic, especially in churches, especially among those that call themselves pastors and preachers. Because historically, it's largely been described as the place where people go with whom we disagree (laughs) and we don't like. And somehow, some people, humans on earth, believe that they have the authority to assign where people go. So we're gonna look at what Jesus believed about heaven and what Jesus believed about hell. I'm gonna share a lot more scriptures than I normally share. Normally there's two or three, sometimes just one in a whole message. Today there's like 10. So you wanna write these down because this is what the writers of the Bible, what Jesus himself had to say about heaven and about hell. Jesus brings it up in his story in the book of Luke chapter 16. And it says this. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angel's to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. It would be awesome if that story just stopped because here's this guy who who had torment on earth, but now he's carried to this this father of the Jewish faith. He's carried into his presence and he's at this party in heaven. He's at a banquet in his honor. Jesus, I wish he would have just stopped the story right there, but he goes on to describe another place. says, the rich man also died and was buried and went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he's being comforted. And you're in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. The rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets has warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now that's a really uncomfortable story because it gives very descriptive terms of what the afterlife is gonna be like for two different people. Well, the first one, of course, this poor man, who is whisked into heaven in this heavenly banquet, who was tormented on earth, who had a very difficult life, and now he's in God's presence. And then this rich guy, who clearly wasn't generous, was not compassionate, did not have pity on the poor, he dies after building his own life without considering God, and he's in a different place. It's called a place of torment. And the writer of this, Luke, one of Jesus' followers, Gives a really descriptive picture of images that can come up in our mind. Heaven, party, banquet, rich man, in hell, torment. It says he's in the place of the dead, and yet he's still conscious and he knows what's happening. So, the place of the dead is a way that they described this place called Hades. Hades is just a Greek word for afterlife. It means death, uh, it means destruction. They actually believed it was at the center of the earth. There's another way they described the afterlife, and it was a word that's pronounced Gehenna. And Gehenna was uh, a trash dump on the outside of Jerusalem. It was a real place. And they would talk about Gehenna and being sent to Gehenna. It's where Pagan religions would sacrifice children. It was a trash dump. At times it would catch on fire. And it's these words Hades and Gehenna that both get translated in the Bible most often as hell. So we're gonna look at some beliefs about heaven and hell based on what Jesus taught. The first one is heaven and hell are real places. They really exist and they're real places. Think of the movies or the books about people going to heaven and back. Heaven is real. Anybody see that movie? Awesome movie. This little boy dies, goes to heaven, tells these great stories as he comes back about seeing Jesus riding a a rainbow-colored horse and grandma and grandpa and all these relatives that he had never met. And it's easy to consider heaven when it's described like that. Whether or not you believe that's true or not, you want to you wanna believe that kind of place exists. But if you're gonna consider that place and the little boy story and all the other stories about going to this place and meeting our dead relatives and Jesus and rainbow-colored horses and all that, you gotta consider the other. There's a surgeon named Maurice Rawlings. He's written about a half a dozen books on people who came off the operating table and told stories of going to hell and back. There's not a lot of movies about that. There's not a lot of big stories and, and, and books and best-selling books about that. That doesn't inspire anybody. One of, the most, one of the most vivid descriptions of heaven comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. So the Bible talks about these two places. Here's how it talks about heaven. Heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Heaven is described as this fresh place, this beautiful place like a bride. I remember when the doors opened and Cindy came walking down the aisle I don't even, I know her dad walked her down the aisle, but I have no memory of that part. I just remember, I just remember seeing this beautiful girl in this beautiful early 90s white dress, like glowing. For me, it was glowing and beautiful. It took my breath away. That's how he describes heaven. It's something that just, it took his breath away when the apostle John was given this prophecy to share. So this city, he describes it as perfect, no traffic jams, No construction, only good news. But even the best human descriptions of heaven fall short. Other writers of the New Testament describe it like this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's what heaven looks like. Now let's consider hell. Nobody talks about rainbow-colored ponies in hell. Jesus had some very graphic language when he talked about hell. In Matthew 8, he says, But many people, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. John, the same guy that wrote the words about heaven in the book of Revelation, wrote that hell was this lake of fire. And then another sobering passage about hell is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, Eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and his glorious power. Now there's lots of beliefs about hell, the place where no rainbow colored ponies exist. There's lots of beliefs about what hell is. Is it a literal lake, like a, a, a lake of lava that God just kind of kicks people into and they just, they just swim around there for eternity? Is that what hell is? Or is hell more figurative of a place that's out there somewhere that are the consequences of bad decisions? Or is hell something that you just experience on earth and it's not a place that's later on? Or does it even exist? There's a lot of different beliefs about this place called hell, but here's somewhere we can all agree. Heaven is the presence of God and hell is the absence of God. All the beliefs about hell, nobody says, well, God's there. So everybody, no matter what you believe or what you've been taught or what way you lean, heaven is the presence of God, hell is the absence of God. And in that original story I read from Luke 16, they're real places, they have physical surroundings. So heaven and hell are real places. Heaven and hell, another belief is they have a purpose. Heaven and hell have a purpose. Now, if you grew up in church, you may have had heaven described to you as this church service that lasts for eternity, and you're like, oh, is there another option? You know, like, like, (laughs) this for eternity? That's gonna get really boring. There will be worship in heaven of God. There will be singing, but don't let a church service and what happens in an hour think this is what we're gonna do throughout all eternity. But heaven and hell have a purpose. The purpose of heaven, simply this, to reward those who chose God in this life. That's what heaven is. John actually describes it a little more in Revelation 21 where he says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Heaven is a place where the old things become new and the things that are broken get restored. And those who want rest and have longed for rest receive it. There'll be no more flu, no more broken bones, no more wheelchairs. You can see and hear and walk and have hair or not hair, whatever your preference is. (laughs) Your body will be perfect. And it means that the relationships that are broken down here will be renewed. No more gossip, no more slander, no more bullying, no anxiety, and you will be able to rest. There'll be no funerals no cancer it'll be the best of everything heaven is simply the reward for those who follow christ in this life that's what heaven is that's the purpose to reward those who follow christ and enjoy presence in god's eternal presence that's what heaven is all about hell also has a purpose Hell was created originally as a place for Satan and his angels. That's why hell was created. Now you think about hell as this, this place where Satan is, the guy with the red pitchfork and the, you know, the pointy chin and the horns and uh, hooves and wearing pajamas, I don't know. You just think about heaven or hell and Satan and we get those images, but in fact, Hell exists as a place for punishment for him. Because if you know the whole story of Satan and how all that came to be, Satan was originally an angel with God in charge of protecting God's creation, Adam and Eve. That was his job. He was the highest ranking angel in God's army and God put him over Adam and Eve. He got prideful. He turned them against God. What would you do to somebody if they turned your kids against you or you left them in charge of them and in charge of those kids and those kids were harmed? Well, if you could send them to hell, would you? Probably so. So God prepared this place called hell for this evil being called Satan. Jesus said to him, Away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. So hell exists so that God can deal with his enemy and ours. Another reason hell exists is to deal with the unrighteous, those that don't choose God. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted And for us, when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and those who refuse to obey the good news of of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and his glorious power. Those aren't comfortable verses to read because I know some of you would say, I'm on the outside. I'm not telling you where you're gonna go. I'm just reading you What Christians have believed, what Jesus believed and what the church founders in the first century received from God and have taught. So not only is hell a place for God to deal with Satan and his team, it also exists as punishment for the unrighteous. Now that makes us uncomfortable to even think about that. How could a God of love do that? Think about it this way. When you see an unruly kid, you think, why aren't their parents doing anything? Why are they not taking care of that? What, you see them in, in Target and they're begging for a toy and they're rolling around on the floor and you see, it seems to be there's no punishment at all for what they're doing. You walk away thinking, if that was my kid, let them spend a day with me and they won't act like that. Now some parents say we don't punish our kids, the rest of us know that, you know we can tell. But what kind of a God would God be and what would you think about him if he looked at all the evil and destruction, all the rebellion, all of the injustices in the world and did nothing about it, ever? See, God is holy and just. He does not turn a blind eye to evil in the world and while it might appear that evil wins some battles, it will not win in the end. It cannot win in the end. And how much of a God of love would he be if he just looked at all those injustices and said, you know what, everybody can just come on in. It doesn't matter about the injustices. It doesn't matter about all the rebellion. It doesn't matter about all the hate. Just come on in. What kind of a God would he be if that's the ultimate destination for everybody? So hell exists as a way to deal with Satan and the unrighteous. So heaven and hell are real places. They have purposes. And another fact about hell, uh, heaven and hell, is they're populated with people. See, one of the popular beliefs is, doesn't everybody just get to go to heaven? No, they don't. They don't. When it comes to heaven, we we read these passages earlier about what heaven would be like. In, in Revelation 21, when he says God's home is now among his people, he will live with them and they'll be his people. God himself will be with them. People, or heaven is populated with people who wanna be there. People who desire relationship with God, meaning that I've tr- if I've trusted Jesus in this life to provide for me a relationship with God, he promises that in the next life that we'll be with him for eternity. That's his promise. What about all of our mistakes? Jesus takes care of those. What about all of my bad attitudes? Jesus takes care of those. What about all the ways I fall short and maybe believe the wrong thing? Jesus takes care of all of that. That's why it's called the gospel. That's why it's called good news. It's because the unrighteousness in us that deserves punishment was given to Christ. So when we obey Christ, all of the purity, all of the righteousness in Christ is transferred to us in God's eyes. And what it says to him is, those people want to be with me for eternity. Okay, I get that, but why would a loving God send somebody to hell? Whatever you believe about hell, whether it's a literal fire that people are gonna you know, jump into or be thrown into, or whether it's just existing for eternity outside the presence of God, or the soul is annihilated and just ceases to exist, whatever you believe, why would a God who loves people do that? That's a legitimate question, but remember, hell exists to deal with Satan and the unrighteous. It's simple. Heaven and hell comes down to a choice, your choice. When someone chooses hell, they're choosing something else over trust in and love for God. So based on scripture, it doesn't seem that God sends anyone to hell. It seems that hell is a place of people's choosing. C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce says this There are only two kinds of people in the end those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, Thy will be done. So if you desire to live apart from God, He says, I will grant that to you. I want people to love me so much, and I want them to live with me for eternity. But if you choose not to, I love you so much, I will grant that to you, and you will not be with me for eternity. And that's not what He wants. But how could good and love exist without a choice to not choose good and love and God? And so God wants everybody, everybody. And so when we look at the world and say, how could he continue to let the world exist in the condition that it's in? How could he allow the injustices to continue? How could he allow the suffering to continue? And in the New Testament, one of the writers named Peter talks about why God waits In 2 Peter chapter three, verse nine, it says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent and choose him. God lets us choose because he loves us so much. So nobody gets sent to hell. I can't look at you and say, you are going to hell. That's between you and God. He's not gonna send you there, and if you go, it's going to be your choice to go there. There's no high pressure. I'm not telling you to turn or burn. We're not trying to use manipulative tactics, but the fact is, God gives every person a choice. So what's your choice? is your choice to say, I believe in God. I still struggle with all kinds of stuff, but I still believe him. And I believe that this person, Jesus, is the way everything changes. Because heaven is not just for out there. Living for heaven someday changes my today. It changes what's going on now. It changes the way I interact with people now. So the choice today that determines our destiny is do I want to live for eternity in the life that lasts a lot longer than this one with God or away from God and you might say I need to know more that's not enough that was only 25 minutes I you got to give me some more information here you might need that that's great come and talk to me or one of the other pastors down front but God will honor your choice whatever it is one choice leads to Jesus. The other choice leads to destruction. And it's up to you to decide. And so there's a card in every seat. There's a card in every seat. Many of you have already made that choice. You know that if last day, today was your last day, where you would be tomorrow. You know you'd be at a party with that, with that poor guy in heaven. You know that. But you know people who don't know that. You know people who haven't made that choice yet. You know people who still haven't taken the step to realize that We're not assigning anybody heaven or hell. We're just offering the choice that God tells us to offer to every person we can. So write that person's name down, whoever it is in your life or them, or many of them. So maybe God can create a way for you to help them get to know him. Now, some of you have not made the choice. You just have not chosen which one of these two you're going to go. Maybe today's the first time you've heard it presented as your choice rather than what God's gonna do to you. It's rather a choice where you wanna go. And if you wanna choose Jesus, we wanna help you with that decision. We wanna help you walk through that decision and all you have to do on that card as well, just write down, I choose Jesus. Give us your name and any contact information, just an email will be fine. And when these last two songs play, It's just time for you to think and pray. And when the rest of us stand up, when you're ready, just bring those cards down. The cards where you're praying for somebody, those cards will be prayed over. The person's name on that card will be prayed for by name as they're contemplating a choice. And if your choice today is Jesus, please stick around afterwards and talk to me and one of the other pastors that are down front. It's your choice. And it's important what you believe. Because what you believe determines who you become. God, as we have talked about so many beliefs, Father, we know that ultimately it's about what comes after this life. And Father, I pray for the people who have yet to make a choice. That today, they choose. They make that decision to follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.